How many of y'all like mashed potatoes? What if you had to eat mashed potatoes every day for every meal? Would y'all still like mashed potatoes? Really? What if that's all you had? <laughs> you know, the one thing I like, uh, I like a lot of things about our music program, but I like variety. You know, I, don't want, I love mashed potatoes, but I don't want them every day. I don't want them every meal. Now, Paula, she wants them every day, every meal. That's easy to please, huh? <laughs> but, you know, I like the variety, the orchestra, the children, the choir, the praise band, the hymns, the contemporary choruses that we sing. You know, you look at creation, and that's what you see, isn't it? Variety. I mean, I love roses, but what if roses were the only flower in the world? You know, what if cardinals were the only bird in the world? You know, uh, what if blondes were the only color hair? What if, you know, what if all of us had gray hair? <laughs> you know, variety. So, Brian, thank you for bringing that, that variety to our, our music program. And let's just uh, bless the Lord and praise the Lord for our, our music program. <clears throat> Where do you find your worth? How do you measure your worth or someone else's? Can you ever lose your worth? Do you even feel like you're worth anything to anyone? Have you ever been told that you're worthless? Have you ever told yourself that you're worthless? How many of you have ever said you don't have to respond publicly or any way, but how many of you have ever said to yourself, I'm a loser this week, today? I think we all tend to find and measure our worth in very earthly things like our background, our job or career, our financial stability, our skill or ability, our knowledge of certain things or others' opinions of us, or our health, or looks, or even our morality and spirituality. That is how good we are. The problem with measuring our worth from those things is that all of those things are based on ourselves, and thus quite faulty and inconsistent. Let's say you measure your worth based on your job. Then you lose your job. Where does your significance go? Let's say that you base your significance on what others think about you. But you hear somebody bad-mouthing you. Or you hear a negative comment about something about you. Where does your worth go then? None of these things are a good foundation for measuring our worth and value because they're all temporal things. Each of us needs to understand that our worth is rooted in something far more important. Something far more significant and eternal. Really, someone eternal. And yes, I'm talking about God. Many of you today don't feel a sense of worth. 
And you would say it's because of one of the things I previously mentioned. Well, I don't have enough money, or I'm not healthy enough, or I'm not as young as I used to be, or I can't do what I used to could do, or, or whatever. And Really, it's, that's not why you don't feel a sense of worth. The real reason you don't feel a sense of worth is unbelief or ignorance. You don't believe what God's Word says, or you're ignorant of what God's Word says. Because everybody in this room is of equal worth and value to God. And that's what His Word says. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, or whether, as the kids said, you have a hot car. It doesn't matter if you have a big bank account. It doesn't matter how you have behaved in your life. Even how you're behaving today, it doesn't matter as far as your worth is concerned. The Bible says that God's people live by faith, not feeling. Our problem is that we try to feel instead of believe. Yeah, there are certain emotions we're going to experience as we live out our faith in Christ, but the feeling part of us is the shallowest part of us, and God's not going to do His deepest work in our shallowest part. We have to believe God, and then we get to experience the things that God has for us. It comes through faith. It says of Abraham, Abraham believed God, and then God credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham got to receive righteousness because of his faith. We receive worth and significance because of our faith in what God says. When Henry Norris Russell, the Princeton astronomer, had concluded a lecture on the Milky Way, a woman came up to him and asked, If our world is so little and the universe is so great, can we really believe God really pays any attention to us? You know, that's something that I hear from time to time. People say, well, you know, God's not really concerned about my little problems. God doesn't really care about this. He's, con he's more concerned with those people who have cancer than he is with my uh, psoriasis. You know, and you think God doesn't care about your problem. God doesn't care about you. And so this lady said, can we really believe in a God who really cares for us and in a world, universe that's so large? And Dr. Russell said, well, it depends, madam, on how big a God you believe in. Do you really believe in a God who loves you? Do you really believe in a God who cares for you? Just like you are. If not, that's why you have self-worth issues. And I would reverse that and say if you have self-worth issues, it's probably because of an unbelief in what God says or an ignorance of what God says. So what do we need to believe in order to experience a real sense of worth? We must believe God and His Word about our position, first of all in creation and then in Christ. So this morning I want to talk about our position in creation. There are some in this generation who would have us believe that animal life is on the same creative level as human life. In fact, Caleb and I on the way to church this morning, we were behind a car. And this car had two fish symbols. You think, Christian, right? Well, the only problem is these fish had feet. And inside one fish said the word Darwin. And inside the other fish was a strand of DNA. 
And what this person was communicating to everybody that sees that is, I am an atheist, I'm an evolutionist, I don't believe in creation, I don't believe in God, I believe we came from goo. Somebody put recently, uh, Bill, I think it was Bill Mullen put on recently, from the goo to you by way of the zoo. <laughs> and you know what? If you believe that, no wonder you struggle with worth. If all you are is goo, if all you came from is goo, and you don't believe in God, and some that believe in goo think you can go from goo to God. You can become your own God, even though you came from goo. You see, the strategy, in fact, those same people, by the way, who believe that, believe that animal life is on the same creative level as human life. In fact, some would say animal life is more sacred. Now, they wouldn't say that out loud, but their behavior betrays them. I mean, when they will, when they will lobby millions and yay billions of dollars to protect the nests of the eggs of sea turtles, but at the same time lobby in favor of abortion, we got a problem. Animal life, unborn animal life, is more sacred than unborn human life. No wonder this world struggles with self-worth. You see, the strategy of Satan and hell is to devalue what God has valued, to deprioritize what God has prioritized. Listen to what Jesus said about the difference between the value of an animal versus the value of human beings. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not? of more value than they. You're more valuable than the creation that God created. In fact, in Matthew 12, 12, he even said, speaking about healing on the Sabbath, the Pharisees, the religious elite, they would go and rescue their sheep or their donkey or their cattle that had fallen in the ditch on the Sabbath, but they wouldn't allow Jesus to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, how, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? You see, Jesus puts the emphasis where the emphasis and the priority where the priority belongs. So what sets us apart, sets us above from the rest of creation? And my friends, answering this will help you understand the great worth and value God's placed on you. First of all, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We've got to go back to the beginning. What sets you apart from the rest of creation is you are made in God's image. That's your worth. Your worth is founded and rooted in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, Let us, who's us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You are made 
in God's image. Christian psychologist James Michelson once counseled a woman who felt very lonely and abandoned. As she began to explain how she felt, he couldn't concentrate because a verse of Scripture from Psalm 100, verse 3, kept running through his mind. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And as she kept talking, he was struggling to concentrate, but he knew that the, the verse had no connection with the problem she was expressing. But he couldn't stop thinking about that verse. After she finished talking, she sat in silence anticipating Dr. Michelson's response. And he knew that if he quoted that verse, it would seem as if he wasn't listening because it was so unrelated. But he finally said to her, Ma'am, I think God wants you to know something. And so he quoted Psalm 100, verse 3. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. And then he asked her, does that mean anything to you? The woman immediately broke down and began crying. After composing herself, she explained what it meant. She said, I didn't tell you this, but my mother got pregnant with me before she was married. All my life I believed that I was a mistake, an unplanned accident, and that God didn't create me. When you quoted that verse, I pictured in my mind God God forming me in my mother's womb. Now I know that God created me and that I'm not a mistake. I'll never be the same again. Thank you, Dr. Michelson. I'll never forget this day as long as I live. You see, God knew that what that woman needed to hear and that she was his marvelous creation and not an accident. Her perspective changed dramatically once she understood that. And this morning, many of us here haven't fully grasped the significance of God's creative work. We may understand certain truths on an intellectual level. Yeah, God created me. Yeah, I'm created in His image, but they haven't been fully assimilated into our hearts and minds. That's why throughout the Bible, God deliberately answers the questions of life. Where did I come from? How, how, where am I going? How will I get there? Because God wants us to know who we are, where we came from, and that our lives have meaning and purpose because of Him. You see, according to the Scriptures, man is God's crowning work of creation. You, men, women, boys, girls, we are the crowning work of His creation. We're the climax of God's creation. We're the goal of God's creation. Only of man. Six days of creation, many things created, but only of man is it said in God's image. Only you. Not the animals, not the trees, nothing but you and me. You see, human beings are the only self-conscious creatures. A dog will dig a hole, but he never squats down and says, hmm, I wonder why I dug that hole. A bird flies through the air, but it never ponders why God gave it that ability. A fish will swim through the ocean, but it never writes a book about the experience. You see, human beings, we're the only ones that understand. The Bible says the whole world, all of creation 
brings glory to God, but we're the only ones that can comprehend that. The animal kingdom doesn't even know. You know, we're created to know and to fellowship with God. That's what part of being, that's what it means to be created in the image of God, partly is to know and fellowship with Him. Chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 8 tells us that this was after the fall. Even after the fall, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? He's not looking for Adam. He knows where Adam is. It, it appears from the scripture that it was a common experience for them to walk with God in the garden. The Bible says in, in Genesis in chapter 5 and in verse 24 that Enoch walked with God. They had fellowship together. That was, that was the goal of God's creation, to have communion, to have fellowship, to have friendship, to have an intimate connection with your Creator. Not to be some God way off somewhere that's so far separated from us, but God right here, God with us, God in us. And we see that in creation. We're created to know Him. We're created to have fellowship with Him. And even when we sin, God comes looking because He loves us. He knows that that sin has marred that image, but He's come to restore it in you. He wants to reconnect with you and me. We're created to know and fellowship with God. The Bible, Paul talked about to these brilliant minds in Greece... In Acts chapter 17, it says that uh, all the Athenians and the foreigners were there. They spent their time in nothing else but to either to tell or to hear some new thing. They just that, they were brilliant. And they wanted to study and hear new stuff. They wanted to grow in knowledge, but it says Paul stood in the midst of, of them and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. You can be religious and be lost. You can be spiritual and be lost. He says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, Him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. And He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. You see, what Paul was saying to these men is that this unknown God doesn't have to be unknown. And that's the reason many of us struggle with worth, is we don't really know God. We're not really fellowshipping with God. We're not really in communion with God like we ought to be. And then we begin to struggle with, am I really worth anything to the Lord? Yes, you are. But you don't feel that sense of worth because you're not vitally connected to Him. He says, Paul says that, that in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us, the minute we start looking, we find Him. 
God said that if you seek me, you will find me. We're created to know and to fellowship with God. We're created for eternity. Do you know that you're created as an eternal being? Animals were not given that. It says in Genesis, in chapter 1 and verse uh, 20, um, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So yes, we're a physical being. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or a living soul. He breathed eternity into us. And the Bible says in Job chapter 32 and verse 8, There is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us, He has put eternity in their hearts. And in chapter 12, he tells us, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. You see, God created us from the dust. He says, To the dust you will return. But the Spirit, the real you that's been created and breathed by God, returns back to God. Listen, that's value. That's worth. You're worth something to God. He created you in His image. He created you to know Him. He created an eternal you. There's no, your pets aren't eternal. You are eternal. You live forever. And you know what else he did? And showing significance to you, he gave you dominion over all the earth. Look what he says back in Genesis 1.26. Let them have dominion over the fish, over the birds, over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You have dominion. Verse 28, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. He didn't give dominion to the largest animal, the whales. He didn't give dominion to the the elephants. He didn't give dominion to the bald eagle. He didn't give dominion to the greatest of all the, the places on earth that uh, an animal can dwell. He gave dominion to you and me. Little old you and little old me. He gave us dominion. That's worth. You're worth something to God because of that. That word dominion, first of all, implies authority. But it also implies a stewardship. He said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He told Adam in chapter 2, verse 15, tend and keep the garden. So God's given us authority over this earth, but He's also given us a stewardship. He didn't give the king of the beast, the lions. He didn't give the lions the stewardship over this earth. He didn't tell the lions, okay, you folks, your, your, your tribe, your pride, your... Uh, your species is supposed to dominate the earth. Your species is supposed to rule the earth and subdue it and fill it. And, and no, he didn't. He gave that to you. He gave that to me. He gave it to mankind. You notice another thing is he made us a little lower than the angels. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 5, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. How does the, the psalmist said, When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars 
which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you even pay attention to him? And he answers his own question. He says, you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. You see, the psalmist David understood that his creative order, that he was made in God's image. He was given authority and dominion, and therefore he was given worth and value. He began to ponder, like all of us ponder, who am I? Why am I here? What difference do I make? Why would God care about me? We live in such a grand universe. I look at that. I see the moon. I could never reach the moon. David's looking at that. He didn't know one day man would get to the moon. Now man's trying to get to Mars. You know, we, we look at the sun. We say it's so brilliant. That's just one star, brilliant star. They say there are other stars even more brilliant than the sun in this universe. And we begin to contemplate that and look at the images that we see through the Hubble telescope. And, and we say, Lord, what am I? Who am I that I matter in all of this grand cosmos? And David answers the question. We're made a little lower than the angels. We're given authority and dominion over all this earth. What does it mean to be made a little lower than the angels? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 gives us a little better understanding. We're going to refer to it more again. But in Hebrews chapter 2, it says Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Now, in the sense that angels are separated from sin, they're separated from temptation, they're, they're separated from sickness, they're separated from suffering, they're separated from death. They cannot experience those things. We do. In that sense, we're made a little lower than the angels. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20 that when a believer dies, he was talking about the resurrection, he said, and when they're resurrected, then they're made equal to the angels. We don't become angels. He said we're made equal to the angels. That is, no longer are we subject to sin and temptation. No longer are we subject to suffering and disease and death. We are now are in the spirit realm, no longer in just the physical realm. Once again, that's not said of any other creation of God's. It's not said of any of the majestic beasts that walk the earth. It's not said of any of the majestic fowl that fly through the air. It's only said of you and me. We're made a little lower than the angels. We're placed at the apex of earthly creation. But in closing, I want to remind you something. We talked about three things, how God placed worth on us. And this is the introduction to the next part of this message in a couple of weeks. God placed worth in you by making you an image of God. God placed worth in you by giving you dominion and authority over this world. And God placed worth in you when he created you a little lower than the angels. But I want you to notice that those three things are fulfilled in one person. That one person is Jesus Christ. You see, God says we are made in the image of God, but Paul in the New Testament said Jesus Christ is the image of God. That is, he is God. Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things continue to exist. Chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, For in him Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Listen, we were created in the image of God, but we'll never be God. We'll never be God. We'll always be less than God. We can never become God. We will always be what we've always been, created in the image of God. Jesus, on the other hand, was God in the beginning. Let us make man in our image. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then that image became man in the person of Jesus Christ. Even though he bore the image of the dust, the image of the earthly man, he was created a little lower than the angels for a temporary time. Why? Because you can't kill God. You can't kill a spirit. So that spirit God had to become flesh God so that flesh God could be crucified and suffer and die for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ is the, is the image of God. And he exercised dominion over nature. You see, we were given dominion over the world, but yet when we sinned, God said, you're going to labor. Now, work was not a curse. Adam worked before the sin, before the fall. But the, the curse was the thorns and the thistles. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. The earth is now going to be working against you. So thorns and thistles would, would be produced, and he would have to fight those the rest of his life. And weeds, if you've ever had a garden, you know you've got to fight weeds. And the animals would now be afraid of you. And it would be a struggle to bring them and to uh, uh, have dominion over them. You would, you would face things like hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and earthquakes, and you would not have dominion and authority over those. You couldn't control those. But yet Jesus, the God-man, steps into the earth. And in the middle of a storm, he raises his hand. And he says, Peace! Be still! And it says in Mark that all the disciples marveled that even the winds and the waves obeyed him. He exercised the full dominion over nature. Because he's the perfect God-man. Even Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. The Bible says, verse Hebrews 2, 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. But see, Jesus only did that temporarily. For the Bible says in Hebrews 1, 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and you shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he said, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. God calls Jesus God. Says that he will rule. 
Yes, he says, was made a little lower than the angels, but the Bible says in Philippians 2, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, he had to become a little lower than the angels to suffer and die. But God hath highly exalted him, placed him at the right hand of God, where he was before he became man. You see, your worth is wrapped up in God. Your worth is wrapped up in who he says you are, his image. You've been given dominion and authority. And you are created a little lower than the angels. But even though that has been messed up because of our sin, it can be once again fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Our worth is wrapped up in God and what He's given you in creation and in Christ. An American tourist in Paris purchased an inexpensive amber necklace in a trinket store. But he was shocked when he had to pay a, a high duty on it to clear customs coming back into New York. So this aroused his curiosity, so he, he had it appraised. After looking at the object under a magnifying glass, the jeweler said, I'll give you $25,000 for it. Well, this surprised the man greatly, and he decided to have another expert examine it, and he did, and this second expert said, I'll give you $35,000 for that old necklace. So the man said, well, what do you see that's so valuable about that necklace? The jeweler said, here, look through this glass. And the man looked through the glass, and he saw an inscription. Nothing precious about that necklace. It was just a common trinket. It was the inscription that made it worth everything. From Napoleon Bonaparte to Josephine. The value of the necklace came from its identification with a famous person. You may not think you're much worth just a common run-of-the-mill person. Maybe you compare yourself to other people and therefore you feel very insecure and unworthy. That's not where your worth lies. Your worth lies in the fact that somebody inscribed his name on your heart. God did at creation. Even those who are without Christ are of great value to God because he inscribed his name made by God. And every soul, every person that's ever been created has that eternal soul and has great worth and value. It could be the, the bum on skid row. It could be the prostitute 
who's a sex slave on the downtown streets of any major city. It could be the millionaire who's the CEO of a top 500, Fortune 500 company. Inscribed by God. You know, that defies everything. That's what makes you worth everything. Not how much money you make. Not what kind of house you live in. Not what kind of car you drive. Not how good you are. Or even how bad you are. Can you lose your worth? No! You can't lose your worth. If God put His name on you, you're just as worthy today as you were the day He created you. You can't lose your worth. then the moment that that person, that sinner, like you and me, we begin to realize that we have marred the image of God. And we realize this person named Jesus Christ is the perfect God-man who became our sin, who paid for our sin. We begin to see our sin and our need and we look to Him and we ask Him to forgive us and save us. Then we become complete, Paul says. We are complete in Christ. That is now our, our worth is not changed. It's still the same. We're not even of more worth now. It's just that our worth and value has been fulfilled and we now recognize and know it. And now we have changed from one destiny to another. You see, that necklace was destined to be sold and resold in a cheap trinket market. And that's what's happening to people today. They're being sold and resold to the cheapness of this world because they don't realize how much they're worth. We're selling our souls to the devil for little or nothing because we don't realize how much we're worth. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. He gave his life. Does that tell you how much you're worth? He gave his life for you and for me. What does he want? He wants your life. He wants you to recognize how much he loves you. And he wants you to give you, give him your life. He wants you more than he wants anything else in this world because you're of great worth and value to him. Would you bow your head with me?